I need to work on that myself. Starting with verse 1, chapter 1, 1 Corinthians. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Thank you, Tim. Uh, before we go there, I just want to say thank you to the decor team. You'll notice that we have up on, the, on our, around us and before us, the five solas. And our goal was uh, to do that before Reformation Sunday came on October the 31st. And so uh, thank you to the whole decor team that worked together to plan it, um, to Rebecca, who spent a lot of time uh, putting those things up on the wall. And so as we, as we worship, we're reminded uh, that we are saved because of Christ, or because of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. And all of that is to, to the glory of God alone. And uh, so be encouraged as you're reminded that we, we're here and we can worship, we can know the true and living God, and, and it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, and it's all to the glory of God alone. So thank you, Decor team, for your excellent work. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the sermon text for today is going to be verses 4 through 9. And uh, most of you had the uh, opportunity to get to know my dad over the last number of years. I'm thankful that I grew up in a home with a dad who had a lot of stamina to finish a project. Um, my dad and I would often work on cars and... Uh, if you've ever worked on cars, you know that far too often when you're working on a car, it doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go. And when I was younger, um, I would be alongside my dad just kind of watching. And as I got older, I would begin to help. But then I soon found out that I'd grow weary and I'd quit. Uh, but my dad would keep on working until the job was done. And my dad was... Um, and this won't surprise you, he was very amazingly patient and persistent when he tackled those kinds of problems. 
Um, and I never questioned whether or not the car would get fixed. Dad would always make a car run again. And um, if, he had, if he didn't have a tool, he would manufacture a tool just so that he could complete the job. So um, Dad was, would persistently stay with the repair until it was done. Now, I say that to illustrate how in a much greater way, in a much more significant way, our text, the scripture sermon text for this morning, tells us how God persistently stays with us to finish the work that he started in us. And, and here is why that truth is important. Maybe you're here this morning and you have battled sin, you've walked through trials, and you've wondered whether or not you would be able to make it to the end. Um, maybe you're here this morning and you, like me, have felt weak, and at times you wonder whether or not you really have what it what it takes to remain strong, to keep believing to the end. Maybe you face discouragement to the point where doubt seemed to be um, uh, inescapable. Uh, doubt dominated your minds. So I, I hope, even as I ask those questions, I hope that at some point in your life, you have reckoned, you felt and you've recognized how weak and incapable you are of going on to the end. Now, when I, ask, when I make that statement, you might think, well, gee, thanks, Pastor, for the encouragement. It really is an encouragement, and, and here's why. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, records the words of the Lord that were given to him when he felt weak. And he didn't know if he had what it took to go on. The Lord said to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, hardness, hardships remind us that we desperately need God's grace. So, so why, why do we experience difficult times? Well, many different reasons, but one of them is that we are very prone to be self-sufficient people and think we can do it on our own. But God lovingly brings difficulties into our lives so that we can experience more of his sustaining grace. Now, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, the church that, if you know much about this letter written to, to Corinth, Corinth was a church that was loaded with lots of problems. But what was it that was at the heart of their, prom, uh, their pro problems? Commentator Gordon Fee helps us understand one significant root of the problems when he says this, the Corinthians are genuinely gifted, but as the letter reveals, they are self-satisfied and creature-oriented, boasting in mere human beings. Fee also states, their problem lies not in their gifts, 
but in their attitude toward those gifts. And so it was their inordinate attention on self and others rather than on God that caused many of the problems within the church. And Paul writes them in this letter of 1 Corinthians to help redirect their focus. And so today, as we look carefully at verses 4 through 9, um, in typical fashion, Paul expresses thanksgiving for the Corinthians, but if, if you've read through the letter to Corinth, you are made well aware of all of the problems that you've, they've had, and you might ask, well, what in the world would Paul have to really give thanks to them for? And I would say what the Corinthians have, you and I also have, and because of that, we too should give thanks to God. Well, what was it? Well, there's three things. One, uh, Paul gave thanks to God for what he has done in their lives. Verse four, in verse four, Paul says, I always thank God for you because, and then he gives us three reasons. The first is God has given you grace in Jesus Christ. So here, grace refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the gospel of, of God's grace to his people. The, the Father sent his Son to this earth and ultimately to the cross to purchase our redemption. It's through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the penalty for our sin was paid in full. Today, if we are the recipients of God's unmerited favor by faith, we're counted righteous before God. We have peace with God. If you are in Christ by grace through faith, then there is absolutely no condemnation upon your life. Um, not now, never, ever again. God's grace that is given to us in the gospel, in the person of Jesus Christ, sets us free from the guilt of sin and from death. So that also means that the power of sin was broken. So born-again believers are no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to keep on sinning. We are set free to live in obedience to Jesus Christ. And this grace given to us in Jesus Christ also includes the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives us power to live out our lives for God's glory and for others' good. So we, we don't have to keep on living proud, self-sufficient, self-serving lives. We can, because of the grace given to us in Christ, begin to find our greatest joy in loving God and loving others. And because we are no longer held captive to sin, and because we've experienced God's great love in Christ, we can really begin to love people in the ways in which he has loved us. We, we can place ourselves in loving service to others for their good and for God's glory. So be, because of the grace given to us in Christ Jesus, the penalty for our sin is paid in full and the power of sin in our lives is broken. But that's not all. That's 
That's a lot, but that's not all. God's grace given to us in the gospel gives us great hope for eternity too. And we're given a great hope that when we leave this earth, we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ without the presence of sin because of God's grace given to us in Christ Jesus. The penalty of sin is paid in full. The power of sin is broken. We have gospel-infused hope that one day we'll be in, entirely removed from the presence of sin and we will enjoy Jesus face-to-face -face forever. What was Paul thankful for? <laughs> it, it's not what the Corinthians accomplished. Rather, it's what God has accomplished in the lives of the believers through the gospel of his grace. As Leon Morris states, mere human achievement means little to Paul. Paul doesn't, think, Paul doesn't thank them for qualities such as faith, hope, and love, but for what God's grace has in fact done in them. You see, Paul is beginning to redirect their focus from man to God. Uh, imagine for a moment if I was standing in front of the Mona Lisa in the Louvre there in Paris, France, something I had the privilege to do at one time on a business trip. If I was standing there and as people were coming by, I began to talk about all of the things that I did when I painted this picture. People would just, uh, I don't know what they would do to me. They would, I think, usher me out and consider me crazy for taking credit for something that I did not do. We know who painted the Mona Lisa many centuries ago. And so it would be ludicrous for me to take credit for that. So too, it's wrong for us. It's wrong for us to take credit for something that God has freely done in our lives. And the Corinthians were squabbling about following Paul, about following Apollos. They were fascinated with all of what man could do. But Paul keeps reminding them all the way through the letter that we are just clay vessels. Their focus was on man and it should be on God. And so Paul's at work to redirect their focus from man to God. But, but let's continue. What else is Paul thankful to God for? Here, God has enriched you in Christ Jesus. Paul's thankful to God for how they have been enriched in every way. Uh, the idea here is that the Corinthians have been made rich or richly furnished in every way. And then he gives two specific ways. One, in all speech. This is kind of funny because one of the Corinthians' problems was an inflated view of their speech. Yet Paul begins by saying he's thankful to God for the way he has made them rich in all speech. And as we'll see later, Paul did place a high value, did not place a high value in rhetorical eloquence. Paul didn't proclaim the gospel in lofty words of wisdom. Instead, Paul Preaching the gospel was made effective. He, he depended upon the power of the Spirit to make it effective. 
Neither did Paul place a great value on the act of speaking in tongues if it wasn't done in love or for the good of others. In fact, Paul said that if you speak in tongues without love, it's like an obnoxious clinging noise. Silence would be better than that. In chapter 14, Paul puts a huge emphasis on speech that builds up the church. Paul, Paul put, uh, he was big on the church being edified and us having a ministry speaking words that build up the church. So Paul would address their abuse of speech. But here in the beginning of the letter, Paul gives thanks to God for how their lives have been enriched in all speech. And this probably includes edifying speech that had, they had received from him and would have certainly included edifying speech that they have been able to give to one another in the church. The, bot the bottom line is this. Paul is thankful to God for how God has enriched them in all of their ability to speak in edifying ways. Also, they've been enriched in all knowledge. Not only have they been able to speak, but they've been able to grasp or understand truth. Um, they have been able to understand their need for a Savior and their need to repent of their sin and to place their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. This wasn't something they did on their own. Paul will teach them later that spiritual things don't make any sense to a person that is not born again. But when the Holy Spirit brings you to life, the Holy Spirit will also give you the ability to understand spiritual things. So if you're here this morning and you see your own sin, you see the glory of Jesus and you know him to be the redeemer that you are trusting in, um, give thanks to God because it's the spirit that's enabled you to come to that place. In verse 6, we also see that Paul is thankful for God's work that's been confirmed among you. Paul says, our testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So on Paul's second missionary journey, he had spent over a year and a half planning this church there in Corinth. Paul had spent much time testifying about how Jesus was the Messiah, and he called people to repentance and faith. Paul says that he's thankful to God that his testimony about Jesus was confirmed in the Corinthians. Um, this word confirmed is often used with the idea of a guarantee. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ that Paul preached had been received by the Corinthians and their faith in Christ had been confirmed as authentic. So it's a delight to hear of someone who has made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. That is reason to rejoice. The problem is, however, that all of us can probably think of someone that we know that at one time has made a profession of faith, but then we've never seen any spiritual fruit. Uh, we've never seen a changed life. And now today, maybe they're not even living for uh, the glory of God at all. Well, here Paul says that he's thankful to God because of the evidence of God's work in their lives, in the lives of these Corinthian believers. So Paul had seen spiritual fruit of God's work in their life. So, where's Paul putting the focus? Well, 
you probably noticed the trend. Salvation is all about what God's done in Christ. In fact, the name of Jesus Christ is used nine times in these first nine verses. The name of God is used five times in these first nine verses. This message is not just for them. This message is for us as well as well today because we must remember what God has done for us what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. But Paul also gives thanks to God for what he is doing, not just what he has done, but what he is doing. And there's two things he mentions. One, God's gifted you for ministry. Uh, so on the basis of what God has already done, he asserts that the Corinthians do not lack any spiritual gift. Um, now, this spiritual gift is something that was given when they be came alive in Christ, but the purpose of giving this gift was so that the believers would exercise it daily in the church on an ongoing basis. Um, because God had gifted the church with spiritual gifts, they were able to minister to each other in effective ways so that they would grow and change, be, uh, they would mature as, as a church. First uh, Corinthians 12, 13, 14 teaches us all about that. Now, think about the local body here just for a minute. Think about how God has gifted each born-again believer with a gift or gifts that are being used for the building up um, of the body of Christ here. Um, it, it really brings me great joy to see you guys encouraging one another, giving to one another, serving one another, exhorting one another, teaching one another, showing hospitality to one another, leading one another, showing mercy to one another, and the list could go on and on. In, in fact, even as we anticipate this trip going to Romania tomorrow, Tim is an elder, I'm an elder. Um, the good news is that we're only part of the team of elders. Um, there's two other elders who will remain and who will continue to shepherd the flock. And in addition to elders, there's deacons. There's also every member is a minister. And so the good news is we can leave and the church is in, in good hands. The Holy Spirit will use you, each of you, to be a part of continuing on with the ministry here in a way that this church will be built up and continue to grow. To God be the glory for doing that. Uh, this church is not built upon one human being um, other than Christ, this church is really an evidence of the Spirit of God gifting every single person with a role and a part to play. Paul is also thankful for the hope that has been given for life. God has given you hope for life. The end of verse 7 gives us really an amazing insight. Paul states that you don't lack any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as, as great as present salvation really is, it, it really pales in comparison to what that day will be when the Lord is revealed and we're ushered into his presence forever. So... Um, I can't imagine what life would be like without living under the sweet care of King Jesus today. We, there, is pre, there is joy in our lives because of his presence in our life. 
but we haven't experienced anything yet compared to what it will be when we're ushered into his presence. And Paul says that I'm thankful that God has given you hope for, for life. Because of God's grace and because of the spiritual gifts of the church, we, we eagerly together wait for that day. We long for that day to come. We anticipate that day. Um, the grace that we experience today, again, is tremendous, but God's grace will be more fully displayed and experienced on that day when Jesus comes again to take us to be with him forever, ultimately on the new heaven and the new earth. Do you long for that day? Are, are you getting ready for that day? I hope that you are, and we have to really be careful because quite honestly, it's, it's one of the dangers that we face as believers and maybe even as American believers in particular, it is far too easy for us to get enamored with all of the things that we can be a part of on this earth. And the, the glory the glories that will be revealed to us can begin to fade into the background if we're focused on all of the earthly things that bring pleasure today. There's, there's a danger with that, to get so wrapped up in the here and now that we've, we don't even desire for heaven to come. So we have every reason to enjoy life today. We have every reason... Uh, to be thankful for God's grace in our life today, but to not be so content and happy here that we don't want heaven. Um, I can remember in my early years as a counselor at Camp Hebron before we were married, uh, I was talking with a guy that said, I, I don't look forward to heaven. He, he loved being in the woods. He, he, he loved being in the dirt and his concept of heaven was that it's going to be nothing but streets of gold. All right? And he said, I don't, I don't want that. I want this. <laughs> um, let's be careful that we don't limit what God is going to give us so much that all that really satisfies us is the here and now. So... We can be thankful for what God has done, what he is doing, but we can also be thankful for what he will do. Um, the first thing that we see in verse 8 is that God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is really utterly amazing. This is a promise by God to keep you believing today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day so that we will be presented guiltless, blameless, without fault or accusation on that day when Jesus comes again. This is a bold and strong promise given to believers. On no uncertain terms, God says that he will keep his own to the end. How in the world can that promise be made? On what basis can this commitment be made? Well, clearly, Scripture teaches us that man is given the responsibility to persevere in the faith, but 
Here we learn that God is the one who enables us to persevere. Verse 9, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is Lord. Our, with Jesus Christ, our Lord is faithful. Let me read that again. God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. So to, to start with, you can't take credit for your salvation. God took the initiative uh, for you to be saved. God called you. You've been elected in God's free grace and according to his will before the beginning of time, not because of our own merit, um, but solely because of God's great love. God chose you. He called you. He drew you to himself. He brought you from death to life. He justified you. He's sanctifying you and he will glorify you when the Lord returns. This call is not into an abstract position of grace, but you are called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You are called into a relationship with Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, next month, Shelley and I are going to celebrate 39 years of marriage. I know, we don't look that old, do we? You don't need to laugh at that. She doesn't. Yeah, there you go. So nearly 39 years ago, Shelly became my wife. Um, we, we did not become husband and wife only on a piece of paper that is stored in the courthouse there in Allen County, Ohio. Um, we're not husband and wife in status only. No, we, we have a relationship and a relationship that's growing and getting better all the time. Um, praise God for that. And in, in similar fashion, uh, you and I, when God saved us, he brought us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're, we're living in a personal relationship with God the Son where we're growing and changing in our walk with him. What, what can God make or why can God make this promise to keep us strong to the end so that we'll be blameless on the day of the Lord. It's because God has called us to himself in Jesus and God will do it because he's faithful. Paul tells us that this is why God is, this is what God is going to do. I, I'm certain of it because God is faithful. He will do exactly what he says he will do. So why do we have this hope today? Why do we have hope for the days to come? It's because of God's grace given to us in Christ Jesus. It's because God is faithful. It's because God keeps his word. We can count on that. It's because God is at work in the lives of his children to keep us strong to the end. Um, it's an amazing truth. And as you evaluate your life today, um, let me ask you just a couple of questions. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you submitting your life to the will of God? The one who started this work, committed to finishing this work. Um, God's not made us to be robots. He works in our hearts, giving us a desire to love him and to live with him, to walk with him. God desires to be the center of what you think and do and 
when you look at your schedule, when you look at your checkbook, your heart, your speech, your thoughts, your activities, what you do, what you don't do, do you see God determining your every step? God, God has made a commitment to keep you strong to the end. And I encourage you um, to get on board with God's agenda for your life. Let me mention three implications of this incredible promise. And, and as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, even though they had lots of problems, he would address those problems but he said, I'm thankful because God started a work in you. He's doing a work in you. And I know that he is going to continue to do that work in you until the Lord comes back. There are, I think, three implications. One, let this promise, let this, this passage comfort you when life gets hard and you don't know if you can make it to the end. We, we find ourselves in those situations a lot of times, don't we? Sometimes things get messy. Sometimes things are hard. Um, look to the faithfulness of God. Look to the promise of God. Look to the life that we've been given in Jesus, the relationship that we have with him. And, and this promise that God will keep you faithful. Let the faithfulness of God and the promise of our faithful God comfort you. Know that God has made a commitment to finish the work that he started in you. So when life gets hard, you think, man, I don't know if I can make it. Look, look, look to the one who's promised. Look to the one who is faithful, who promised to complete the work that he started in you. Number two, let this passage give you hope when you see other Christians struggling. You, you may witness other Christians messing up big time. Remember that God is at work in their lives too, just as he is at work in your, in your life. But also remember that God may want you to be the one who will come alongside of them and help them grow and change. Remember that God has gifted the church for this very purpose, that we come together Hebrews 10, 25, don't forsake the meeting together. That We come together and we spur one another on to love and good deeds. Remember that God's gifted you for that purpose. So don't, don't lose hope when, when another believer is struggling and they're continuing to struggle. You, you're not going to get encouragement from looking at the fruit of their life necessarily but you'll get encouragement not to give up on them when you look at the promise that God has made that what he started, he'll finish. He's faithful. And then third, and really most importantly, let this passage and this truth of God's grace cause your love to grow for a great God more and more each day. Um, take time to be thankful, to give thanks to God, to express your gratitude to God. Take time to give praise to the one who alone is worthy of that praise, to the one who is faithful, who has made this gracious promise. God will sustain you to the end. Um, Daniel experienced that when he was in Babylon. 
Um, Daniel experienced that when he was away from the city that he loved, when he couldn't go to the temple to worship. And he was living as an exile in the court of a pagan king. In fact, three different pagan kings. God kept him faithful. God will keep you faithful. Um, Enjoy him. Love him. Give thanks to him. Bless him. Praise him. Let's pray together. Father, what an amazing thing it is that you saved us. Um, I think about my own life and how content I was to go about my own things, to do things my way for my own good, my own glory. And I cared, I, I, I didn't care about you at all. And yet, in your love, you pursued me. In your love, you called me. In your love, you saved me through Jesus. You've given me your spirit. You've, you've promised to keep me. You've promised that I can look forward to the day when I'll be ushered into the presence, to your presence forever, and enjoy you in an unhindered way. That's an amazing thing. I, I want to thank you for that. So, Father, as we go from here today, I pray that you would remind all of us of your faithfulness. We, we need that at times when we get discouraged and weak. We need to be reminded of your faithfulness when we see other believers struggling. And sometimes we're tempted to be impatient. Sometimes we're tempted to lose hope. We're tempted to give up on people. Father, I pray that you would encourage us to think about your faithfulness when we think of them. And I pray that we would together be a people that constantly look to you, constantly give thanks to you, constantly worship you, constantly bring our lives into alignment with your will for us, because you're worthy of that. You've started this work, you're at work faithfully in our lives, and you promise to finish the work that you've started in us. And we thank you. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.